Hi, I'm Chris Marie. I'm so glad you're listening. In conflict, do you ever walk on eggshells, avoid sharing your honest opinion, or even hesitate to say no? Well, no more. Susan and I created a speak up kit just for you. It's an easy to use, proven step by step process to find your voice and reduce your stress. To learn more, go to thriveinc.com forward slash speak up. That's www.thriveinc.com forward slash S P E A K U P. Hi, I'm Chris Marie Campbell. And I'm Susan Clark. And today we have a special guest, Carla Cohen. And about 30 years ago, while pursuing a career with A-list celebrities like, take a listen, folks, Michael Jackson, Bette Midler, George Benson, Carla suffered a health crisis that landed her in bed for two years. Western medicine could not help her, so she set on a quest to heal herself. She studied with shaman, healers, and body language experts and accumulated 25-plus certifications in a variety of healing modalities. Her passion for uncovering the cause of suffering led her to a deep dive into emotional intelligence. She's a best-selling author, speaker, first-ever recipient of the Exceptional Global Woman Award and EQ expert. Carla is known to her clients as an emotional alchemist. (laughs) She helps mask the mystery of emotional intelligence, EQ, and how we master our emotions and mindset to remove obstacles and eliminate emotional baggage that holds us back from pursuing and fulfilling our purpose. Welcome, Carla. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to meet you both and be on the show. Yes. Your journey sounds quite origin story, like hero's journey coming out of the ashes. So I am curious because, you know, you started off with these A-list celebrities and I actually see how the health crisis probably led you to where you are now. What were you doing with all the A-list celebrities? (laughs) Michael Jackson. (laughs) With my, most of those people, I there were other ones too, of course. Obviously, I'm yeah. not going to list yeah. them all, but there were two parts to my career. One was the these the two high burnout points was the public relations. So I was doing helping create PR campaigns, managing campaigns, all the things that go with taking care of the celebrities when they do something not so good and you have to figure <laughs> out how to spin it. Yes, okay. Uh, and that was a 24-7 job, really. And and then from that, I actually decided I needed to make a change. And I went into what's called story development. Those are the people who, I maybe it might be a magazine article, a newspaper article, or sometimes it was books, treatments, or scripts people would submit. So I was the one who would read those, decide, you know, fix it if the story was not good, package it with celebrities and, you know, producers, whatever the talent and then turn around and sell it to either the networks or the studios. Yeah, so it was all kind of a big, I was a woman in a man's world. And instead of working a 40-hour work week, because I was a woman in a man's world, I was working a 70-hour work week. I didn't take time for myself. I didn't, at that time, I wasn't really conscious of the fact that my thoughts are not really who I am. And I wasn't conscious of self-care or even boundaries at that time. So there were a lot of elements that went into, you know, my striving to be better and, you know, hit the top of the the food chain. That was the the cost of that was my health at a certain point. I can also imagine that if you're working in a PR situation with high celebrity status people, and that's a certain amount where you may take, you're dealing with their emotional baggage. They may not be, 
but you're trying to pick <laughs> something that is often a result, I would imagine, of historical baggage that has not been dealt with that is showing up in this world. world. Yeah. And I don't even know if you were aware of that, but as you said it, I thought, oh, wow, that job takes on a lot. Yeah, I, you're right. I didn't actually think about that at the time, but it was you know, their way, a lot of times their way of dealing with things at that time was, you know, there was a heavy emphasis on drugs. That was the culture in the entertainment world. And in the, when I moved from PR into, that was mostly music acts that I covered, although I had I did have the only five-star Michelin restaurant in Los Angeles, but yeah, they were, that was, that guy spoiled me. Yeah, it was amazing. $1,500 <laughs> bottles of wine at the end of the night, you know, to thank me for doing my work. But he was a grateful, appreciative client and not all of them were because they were focused on themselves, really. And that's their job. My job was to be focused on them. That's, they were the star. But yeah, I think the drug use, I remember really particularly working on very hard to get an interview. I can say this now, he's passed on, but and it's not a secret, but very hard to get an interview for Rick James, who had a, you know, kind of a mixed reputation at the time. And I, I practically begged these people to interview him and they were, they didn't want to. And then finally they said yes. And then the journalist shows up at the Coliseum to interview him. And he strung out on whatever, I don't know what he had taken. And he refused to let the guy in the calls in the place. And it's, those were the kind of things that, that was a, that's a big example, but there were things that were more minor. It's, it can be debilitating. And at that time I was resilient because I was, was using adrenaline to keep me going. I think now I've, since I've learned that emotional intelligence really is what creates resilience. And so I, I have different resources now than I did back then. Carla, will you tell us a little bit about your journey? And then, because uh, we'd love to talk about the emotion, what you got to in your <laughs> own process. Yeah. So what happened was as a development person, I had a sofa in my office and I would read scripts and, and I would sometimes doze off a little bit, you know, five minutes here, 10 minutes, whatever. Books were great. I had a staff underneath me of read. They're called readers, and they would also. So I couldn't read everything, but I did. I tried to, and then they would also read things and submit their comments. Anyway, I was taking scripts with me to. We on the weekends, I would take things with me. My husband would be enjoying wine with our friends and sitting by the fire. I'd be over in the corner on the chaise lounge, trying to read, take it with a stack of scripts next to me. And reading through those and my deadline, it was just like, I could never get it all done. And I felt like I had to. And what happened was I had an amazing boss. They fired him and he was my friend. They fired him and they promoted me to take over his work. I, they didn't want to give me any more money. They didn't even want to give me a, a better title. Again, you know, woman in a man's world, Hollywood, and it's still like that, but it's broken open more than it, it was at that time. What happened was that that frustration just started to mount. And I kept thinking, if I just work harder, if I just do more, if I just, right, it's never enough. And, but that really started showing up in my work. So I was dozing off my little five minute naps turned into half hour, an hour. It was like out. And then I noticed I, you know, I felt like I had a little fever, whatever. So I went to the doctors and, and they said, you know what? you do have a fever. I had a constant fever. It wasn't going away. And they didn't, we didn't know how long it had been going on. But we did find also that it had an elevated white blood cell count, which they could not explain. And they did all these tests. I went to every, I went through every test you can possibly manage, imagine. And of every liquid in my body and every orifice and everything. 
And they finally said, look, you know, we don't know if you picked up something in, on one of your trips or, you know, we don't actually know how to explain this, what's going on with you. At that time, they were just starting to discover what they called Epstein-Barr chronic fatigue syndrome. They, I mirrored a lot of the symptoms, but I didn't, it didn't match up completely. So they never could give me a conclusive diagnosis. And they finally just said, look, you know, we think you're depressed. So they sent me home with a bottle of antidepressants. And you know what? I wasn't depressed until they hand me the depressants. (laughs) Then I started to dive into hopelessness, you know, and it was a pretty quick turn because I went from this, like always being optimistic and, you know, whatever, to just absolutely devastated because I, up until that time, I thought if my parents can't heal me, because my mom was a pretty good nurse. She took care of people during World War II and she had some pretty good skills. But nobody could help me. She couldn't help me. The doctors couldn't help me. So uh, they finally, you know, when I went home with the antidepressants, I took one. I remember feeling really weak and just collapsing on on the toilet. I couldn't lift my arms over my head. And I went from powerhouse to just completely weak as a kitten. I just, and I couldn't even lift my arm. I was trying to straighten my hair. When I couldn't do that, I knew I was, you know, something was really wrong. I just wept there. I remember weeping on the toilet for a while. And then I decided that those were not my path. I couldn't take them anymore. And I threw out the rest of the bottle. That was and And then I made a decision that I was going to figure this out. It might take me a while. So anyway, I spent the next two years in bed. And I read a lot of metaphysical literature. I did a lot of study on nutrition. I did all kinds of studies. And then There were days when I would feel better than others. On one of the days when I felt better, I actually went to an introduction to meditation, transcendental meditation, and I knew that I knew that was the path. Like that was the beginning of, I could feel the light coming through the, after that, and I'm just going to skip through a lot of stuff because we don't have time for it, but I ended up at at a very near that time, I had gone to a psychic fair and I went to this one woman who read the tarot cards and she said, oh my God, you've been sick for a really long time and you know this is really bad. And I was like, wow, how does she know all that? And she was really stoic. She was just very, she didn't smile. She was like, she carried this burden of sadness around her, you know, and you could see how stoic she was. But anyway, she said, you know, at, at the end of the reading, she goes, I do know a way I think that can help you. And I said, what is that? She said, energy balancing. And I thought, and I said, what is it? How do I, she goes, I can't really explain it, but it's 50 bucks. And if, if you want, I can do that. So you can just reach out to me. And I was so tight on money because I hadn't worked for two years. And even my husband was off and on working in Hollywood as well. And anyway, that night, somebody gave me a check for $50 and I went, okay, I'm not stupid. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> So when I went in for my initial session and she tried, she had me lay down on a massage table and there were crystals and there was, you know, the incense smoke in the air. It was really a, a beautiful, tranquil setting. And she put her hands over me and she said, oh my God, get off my table. And I went, what? And I thought, oh my God, you know, what have I gotten myself into? And she said, I said, I thought I did something wrong. And she said, no, the problem is you're really a powerful healer yourself. and you haven't learned how to deal with your own psychic ability. So I've never done this before, but I want you to be my apprentice and I don't let anybody work on me, but you're going to start working on me and that's how you're going to develop your skills. And so that was kind of the, when everything started opening up and then from there it was, that's where all the shaman and all the other things came in after that. Look about earlier. That's powerful. That's the emotional alchemist. I can see that now. (laughs) I love that, that 
So how did you, though, you know, moving it forward into emotional intelligence and what's your definition of emotional intelligence? Tell us about that. There's a lot of people don't understand the difference between IQ and EQ. You know, emotional intelligence, we call EQ for short. It stands for emotional quotient, being able to measure your ability to how do you navigate your emotions? How do you navigate the emotions of other people? Are you able to be really in touch? Because most people feel like, They'll feel the extreme emotions. They'll feel anger. They'll feel happiness and they'll feel grief. But we have about 36 different emotions and most people don't can't identify a lot of those. And what I figured out on my journey was when the more I, I started to get connected to my body and what I was feeling in my physiology, I was able to identify those emotions. And the more I resolved them, the more my energy started to come back. And it became easier for me to move forward. Now, just to contrast, an IQ is more about like quantitative measuring. It's about short-term and long-term memory, quantitative reasoning, knowledge of the world, fluid reasoning. And so it's more about academics, expertise, critical thinking, that kind of thing. But EQ is we identify our emotions, we evaluate how others feel, we perceive how others feel. We use our emotions to facilitate social communication and we, it affects our motivation, our empathy, our relationships, our self-awareness and our self-control. So it, the two are really quite different. Oh, when you're, yeah, yeah. We, we're with you on that. We agree. <laughs> I mean, we're speaking our language. So yes. <laughs> I mean, the thing I'm hearing big time that, you know, just to simplify it for, because we often have to change our language in our business context because it doesn't. You're trying to reach people where they are. And I imagine right. that sometimes. But what I really struck me was, you know, emotions and a lot of it lives in the body. Like in so much of IQ, your intelligence and your smarts are in your chest, yeah. in your head, your mind. And your mind without your heart and your body is really not going to be as smart. But, you know, so your emotional intelligence does influence your IQ, but they're very different, I would say. You know, and what you're bringing up is how that emotional and reasoning has something to do with your being in your heart, in your body, in your, that's how you actually can read someone else and also understand yourself. Is that? Yeah, I mean, that's really pretty close. That's pretty great. Yeah. So a couple of distinctions there, but let me just uh, clarify the difference between, I I speak of brain versus mind. Brain does the bidding of the mind. So the mind has the conceptual part. The brain is the part of us that figures out, okay, how do I take this down into the world? The brain is also the part of us that recycles those negative thoughts. Okay. Not the mind. Mind is more of who we are. The brain is, like I said, does the bidding of the mind. So when we think about, and what you were saying about the emotions being in the body, they are, it's, it literally, it becomes a physiological memory in the tissue. And this is probably the essence of what I do, because when I work with my clients, I'm actually helping them. It's not therapy. It's not where we sit around and we talk about, you know, my my mom did this to me when I was 12 years old, although that can be very valuable. That's not the thing. Emotional intelligence is I'm literally willing to be aware of this emotion and be in the discomfort maybe of that emotion so that I can heal it with so that I can move forward and feel better and have more resilience and more energy. Yeah, I I mean, I think what you're saying is really important right now because I think that I would think of it a little bit like building the capacity 
to mm-hmm. hold a space for what can be kind of conflicting emotional. And if you can't do it, it's just going to show up in the world as total chasms of we, we don't know how to hold our own dark and light spots, much less be able to be, res- how can you be resilient if you can't make space for both the light and the dark and whatever emotional, you know, the ones you like and the ones you don't like in terms yeah. of emotional capacity. I'm going to take it even deeper here. Okay. So for, okay, let me just go back for a second. Every emotion that we have that could be a, an event that you don't think was really consequential, but you've ma- now made, what happens is there's a changing of the tissue. There's a changing of the chemistry as a result of that emotion in your body. And it stays there until you, you heal it, you acknowledge it. So one emotion, one emotion can create 10,000 thoughts. So when you think about all those emotions that are in there, that's a lot of, that's a lot of congestion. So all that, all of those thoughts, what they do is they literally create pressure inside the body, which is what gives us the experience of stress, what we identify as stress. It also takes down the immune system because we're having the stress response. So our immune system, our resources go to that should be keeping us healthy are actually going to fend off potential attack. I don't know if I'm getting too into into, like a survival. Yeah. I get into my survival brain. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, just even to follow along for some of the things we've talked about before on here in different ways, because I think when you were talking about the mind and the brain, the one thing that struck me, because I do think the brain is also where the autonomic nerve, a lot of the autonomic nervous system, which is our capacity to be resilient, really, to be and actually that if that doesn't get turned on properly, we're always in our hyper vigilant adrenaline state, which is actually where we don't know how to heal, which I think sometimes in creates that collapse. That to me, I think is a beginning. I mean, I like that you're addressing that from a different, even whole different perspective in terms of looking at it through the emotional landscape. Yeah. And then the other, and then again, according to my experience, when we change the inner, and, and this is really coming from, I know people always talk about the law of attraction, you know, what sometimes when they hear what I'm saying, which is great, but it kind of oversimplifies it. When we think about how the our emotional uh, state literally does, whether good, bad, or whatever emotion is that we have, every emotion has a vibrational frequency that matches it, and that's going to attract or repel the circumstances that are happening going on in our life. So we literally are responsible for uh, attracting whatever experience in our life, whether it's good or bad. And you know, even though we don't always want to take ownership, like uh, I don't really want to own that I'm the one who drew this in. But people have to learn how to interpret that experience. That's where I come in because they, they might oversimplify and say, I attracted this because blah, blah, blah. And the truth is, no, you probably attracted this because this thing was not healed from going back to, you know, could be even infancy. Some of the work I've done with people, I had this one guy I worked with. A lot of the people I work with now, it's about taking them forward in their careers. How do we refine what they're doing, move them forward, get them over a hump where they're not moving, they're procrastinating or they're not hitting the dollars and amounts that they want to hit in their career. But I've also had people come to me because they have a physical issue. And this gentleman, we met by accident. He actually literally sat down on my foot with a chair. He's 200 pounds. So it, was not, oh. it wasn't a good meeting. It's oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> but he had a pain in his back and he was really, he's a body bodybuilder, you know, a very healthy guy, eats well, very conscious man. And he went to an orthopedic surgeon. He went to the all these different doctors, chiropractors, and he still had this pain in his back and they, they couldn't help him. And he said, you know, 
now that I kind of know a little bit about what you do, is that something you can help me with? I said, I have no idea. I said, you're always going to get a healing, whether it's the one that, you know, intended or not. I have no idea. We'll see what happens. So when I was working on him, uh, what I found was, his, and this is going to be hard for some people to track, but the thing in his body went back 55 generations. It wasn't even, yes. and once, once I got to that with him, I just got chills again when I tell the story. He has not had that pain recur. He is, he's, we've cleared it forever. Yeah. So when you go back that um, far in the lineage, it's some pretty good heavy work. Heavy, yeah. you know, yeah. 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 So it's just, again, it's all emotional and baggage. And whether it's ours or it's something we, I don't really want to go to the inherited because I really believe you have to work on the present. Too many people go, oh yeah, it's my past life. And like, yeah, no, well, yeah, let's try taking a look at this one. And then if we really can't go there, you know, if I get, because I have ways of testing, muscle testing, kinesiology, different ways that I, I test to see if, okay, you know, this is, maybe it's, it is something inherited, you know, maybe it is something that is a past life thing, but I would say 99.9% .9 of the time it relates to the now. There's something in this period. And because there's probably a trigger that happens in the now that may even distract no, me. If you are working with energy is somewhat timeless. <laughs> when it comes down into how it applies in our 3D emotional world today, it's matter. But energy itself is so, you people, I mean, I do think you could be working on something in the present and it could actually be changed history or destiny, whichever direction you go. But if you think of it that way, you're getting yourself in your mind too much and it's probably not helpful. So you just yeah. need to come into the present. That's one way I think of the difference between energy versus my physical body right now. Already contains the energy of millenniums, really. We all yeah, have right. You know, there you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, we do have that. And you were saying, I'm sorry, I just wanted to say, Chris Marie, you mentioned something about triggers just a few minutes ago. Also true. So our brain is wired to look for things that are similar so that we don't repeat. It's trying to keep us safe, right? It's That's the ego, what we also identify as ego. And so it will look for things that in an attempt to keep us safe, and actually that becomes a trigger. Those memories from the past become a trigger for things that were not healed during in your earlier days, right? Before you got to this moment in time. So that's why you suddenly may be somebody or suddenly maybe don't like somebody. And and again, it's going back to, as you were saying, Susan, just the, it's really about the vibrational frequency. The frequency doesn't just, there is that memory in the cells, right? that, yeah. that frequency. And, and we carry a certain percentage of that we inherited. And I believe that when I work with somebody and we clear something, it goes up, up, up above them to their mom or dad or, uh, you know, parent, whatever the parent is above and the grandparents and the great grandparents. And it goes below directly to the children, but it doesn't go sideways. For example, you know, if you were married, it worked for you and all your children and everything else, but it wouldn't work for your husband, for example. And it sounds like, Carla, maybe you can just tell our listeners, because it sounds like you work with people one-on-one. -on -one. Do you do that virtually or do you have to be in person? I do nowadays, pretty much all of my work is virtual. And yeah, and I'm able to work over Zoom, so it doesn't really matter. What we discovered, so didn't that whole thing with, the, the woman where I became the apprentice, we discovered that I am a clear sentient, which I didn't know at the time. For people who don't know what that is, because I sure didn't, and most of the people that I've met don't know. So clairsentients are able to feel, see, smell, touch, pretty much hear things that other people cannot. 
when I literally can, if I wanted to, if I'm working with a client and I needed to, I might project into their body and be able to say, okay, this, the problem is over here. If you can't sense your emotion and the location of it, I can do that for you. But I really want to encourage my clients. The purpose is to educate them so that they're empowered to be able to do these things, some of it on their own as well. I don't want them to depend on me to do that. I don't know why I got off on that track, but anyway. No, I was asking how you work with people. And uh, there's that. And then depending on, you know, the person, you know, my, again, my focus is coaching, which is really a business coaching. But like I said, it can be, these things come into it because why haven't you? For example, I had a person who was on track to, she, when I met her, she was right at that crossroads. She had just finished nursing school and she was had, had a background in teaching and she was about to go work in a hospital cleaning out bedpans and things like that. And she was just like, I don't know if that's really what I want to do now. I can and, understand that. Yeah, <laughs> right. And she was, she's such a spark. I mean, such an amazing woman. And she, I loved working with her, by the way. And so she, as a result of our work together, she rediscovered her love of teaching and she's working at a, like a Waldorf type school now and just very happy. But it was the process of getting rid of the, you know, a lot of it was baggage that had been either laid on her intentionally by her parents or unintentionally, you know, that she thought she needed to do in order to please them or whatever. We get into these weird phases where people don't live their bliss because they're too busy following what they think they're supposed to be doing or what they should. I hate that word should do. I think a lot of people. That that makes a lot of sense. So any, what could you leave our listeners with as a tip to support their own development of emotional intelligence? I think the first thing is just the most simple thing is do whatever you can to raise your self-awareness as much as possible. And, And what that might mean, just a very simple thing is to sit quietly somewhere and make an, a, a real conscious attempt to stay in your body because a lot of people leave and they don't realize they're not they're not inhabiting. Like there's either brains in a jar where it's just a brain and they never have no relationship. I'm sure we can all relate to people like that. And then there's people who who feel a lot, but then they think they're feeling other people's feelings and they're really not. They're just projecting. So you have to really get in touch with who you are first. Starting with that self-awareness, and I actually have different exercises that might lead my clients through, but you could actually just start by paying attention to what are the sensations that you're feeling in your body right in this moment? And then just kind of wonder about what does that mean? We have so many emotions within us and they're there for a reason. And we wouldn't have 36 if we didn't have, I mean, that's just an estimate, but we wouldn't have that function happening if there wasn't a reason for us to have that in our body. So why are we feeling these feelings? And maybe that's another question somebody could start with is, huh, I'm just curious without the judgment, why am I feeling this way right now? Why am I feeling triggered? Is there anything uh, related to that? I really like even, and it's interesting because you started with one of the first things you did in your own path was some meditation. And you realize there's something in this. And what I, and now as you're saying this to our listeners, you know, Medi- you don't have to become an advanced meditator. You actually, though, do need to learn how to sit with yourself, which is really what meditation invites you to do. Become mm-hmm. a better, better able to sit and be with yourself to understand yourself. And I think, you know, that's interesting that you started 
with that path of meditation. And now you're coming back to it with a simple tip too. Yeah. Yeah. Encourage people to start. You know? Yeah. It's so important. I mean, honestly, when I started that 46 years ago, I think it is now, I've never missed a day of meditation. Yeah. Even if I have a, a 5 a.m. flight out of Los Angeles to go somewhere, I will get up at three or two or whatever, that extra hour so that I can, you know, have that time for myself, have the meditation and be able to, because what it feels like, it sweeps out the garbage in the box. All the, I call it interference. Yeah. So that you can get real with who am I right now? Who am I in this moment? So yeah, that's, that would be a great way. And that's a good thing that you pointed that out. If our listeners want to have a session with you or learn more about you or what, if there's something you want to offer, you want to share that now? Okay, sure. So <clears throat> I just like to gift your listeners with you can go to getcarlasbook.com and you will get a free copy. It's a free book that I wrote and it's all about how to shift your brain profile and reduce your stress. And it takes you through different, uh, for 10 days, it takes you through different exercises uh, to help you become more aware and it gives you some different pointers. So that's a very simple way. So getcarlasbook.com, super simple. And if if they're interested in connecting with me more personally, they can just go to my website, carlacohen.com and you'll see there's some different ways I think there that you can connect and yeah I if you look around I'm not one of those people who remembers there I do know that I have a handle on Instagram called Carla Cohen Coaching so you can reach out to me on Instagram and on Facebook it's I think it's Carla Cohen Heels or something like that but I I don't I'm not very good at remembering those things (laughs) you know what's interesting is I actually found you on Women's Health Revolution yeah, women's health residents, you know, yeah. just so I, you're, but you're in a lot of places. places. You are. So, <laughs> and one question, the Get Carla's book, that's usually, is it Get Carla, add the S, book.com? Yeah, no apostrophe. So okay. Get Carla's book okay. without no. the apostrophe. That's a good question. Thank you. Yeah, because people go, you know, no, you don't put an apostrophe in it. Like, I know. I'm, I'm very liberal, though. So yeah, no, no, you know, and it's thank you for pointing that out because I've had people go, I can't find it. It's good yeah. to help. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yes. Oh, this, you've been delightful. Yes. Thank uh, you. My pleasure. I really enjoyed uh, speaking with both of you. Thank you again for having me in. And uh, I look forward to hearing the, the final. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. We hope you found today's episode valuable. We know you're busy and we want to make it easy for you to understand how conflict may be showing up in a way that's impacting your team negatively. We recorded the first three chapters of our book for you to listen to for free. Get your free audio sample at thriveinc.com forward slash free sample. That's T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C.com forward slash F-R-E-E-S-A-M-P-L-E. 